Good morning, everybody. Let's give it up for uh, Dan in real life. So if you haven't seen that movie, uh, your homework for after today is to go and find it and watch it because it is one of the best movies ever made. It's called Dan in Real Life. And I'm going to talk about that clip here in just a second. But uh, I want to just first welcome everybody to Joy Church. I want to say welcome to Joy Church UO joining us on video today. Um, just excited to be together today, excited for everything that God's going to do. And even when we lose on Saturdays, Jesus always wins on Sunday. Come on. So Huskies may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Praise Jesus. So I was thinking, and I actually pulled up to uh, the coffee stand today, and I, and I was thinking about this whole fallback, you know, time change thing that we go through. What I want to know is why can't we just always fall back? Do you know what I mean? Like every night, fall back, and it just rotates around, and it's right. It gets right over 12 years or whatever. You know, it works. Just How many of you are with me? We need to get this real political change enacted to just either get rid of that or just always fall back, because that whole spring forward thing, I'm not a fan of that. Any of you? No, I don't like that. Hey, you get to uh, go to sleep tonight and lose sleep. That's, I'm not okay with that. Getting an hour is great. Amen? That's good. Well, guys, we're starting a, a new series today called Loveology. And it's all about love. Everybody say, love. Oh, isn't that sweet? Love is not a feeling. Love is an ability. I love it. And we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about all kinds of romantic love. And maybe you're going, well, then it's, I, there's nothing here for me. I'm single or I'm divorced or I'm not interested in romantic relationships. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, never again. Don't raise your hand if that's you. But, you know, you're the person that's back there with like 10 cats, you know what I'm saying? You can laugh. It's okay. Just messing with you. Just messing. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're going, there's nothing here for me. We're going to talk about love. And here's the thing. There's something here for everybody because as we're going to find out, God is love. His intrinsic nature is love. And I believe that through the rest of this series, even if, even if something is not directly applicable to you in the individual message, that God is going to do something unique in your heart. And, and you're going to connect with God's heart in a brand new way. And love is just this tremendously important topic in romance, and it's so much through our society. How many of you remember this game right here? Yes. So what do you call it? I called it MASH. Is that anybody else? Somebody, my wife calls it a cootie catcher. How many cootie catcher people? Cootie catcher people? Okay, weirdos. All right, MASH. All right, cool. I guess we're weird too. Anyways, MASH or cootie catcher, this is this game that we used to play. As kids, and, and what you would do with this game is you'd write down like numbers and letters, and then you'd write down um, you'd like four places that you could end up living. So you do a mansion and and you know trailer, uh, shack, and like uh, you know normal house or whatever a house, and you'd write that down, and then you'd write four cars, and you'd have to pick one that wasn't very good. So you'd be like Pinto, uh, Ford Taurus. And then you'd have like Lamborghini. And for me, the ultimate car was Dodge Viper. I still think Dodge Viper is the coolest thing in the world. One time I was with my friend and we pulled up and, and we were like in his weird, really old nasty Mazda with weird stains in it and stuff. And we pulled up and there was a Dodge Viper that pulled up next to us. And I'm like, Aaron, I'm going to say something. And he's like, Jake, don't. I'm like, and I roll the window down and I look over and I'm like, nice car. And the guy's just like, you know, and takes off. So for me, the Dodge Viper was always on here. And then, but most importantly, and this is like the, really what made it all uh, tense and everything, was you would write four names of, of people. 
And so you always had, for me, it was this girl. There was a girl at the moment that I liked or that I was hoping I'd end up with. And you had to act like you don't like her, right? Because you can't like act like you do like her. So you're like, you pick one person you hope you never hope to God to ever end up with. Because you have to do that. It's like bad house, bad person, bad car. It's horrible. I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying what we did as kids. And, and then you'd put like two medium people. You're like, yeah, I mean, I guess if I got stuck with this person, it'd be okay. Ladies are like, that's you, honey. That's um, their husbands. But then you put the person that was your, your heart's desire, right? Now we call it your boo, right? So Jesus tells us to keep our hands on our own boo. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people over 40 are like, I don't even know what language you're speaking right now. So you would do this whole thing and you'd go through and you'd see like, what house do you live in? And for the girls, that was like, I live in a mansion. You know, guys don't care. For us, it was the car question. What kind of car do I drive? I, I could live in a trailer, but if I have a Dodge Viper, all is well with the world. Am I right, guys? And so you go, okay, you, you get, you know, you're living in a, a mansion, and you get to drive a Lamborghini, woo! And then you get to marry, and then that would be the, the fourth part that you would do. And so if you got the person in this game, now obviously, as you know, this has no bearing on the real world. You know, this didn't magically give you the person that you wanted to marry. And actually, most of the people you wrote on here probably wouldn't be good for you to end up with, right? Uh, but you would get, if you got the person um, that you really wanted to marry, you'd feel all Twitter-baited. Ooh, feels so good. And, and what does that teach us about life? Nothing. It was just fun. I just wanted to just mess with that today. No, it teaches us something that even from a young age, we really care and connect with this idea of love. Um, that, it's, that it's intrinsically woven. It's woven into our nature. It's woven into who we are, that we were made for relationship, not just relationship with God or relationship with human beings, but made for relationship romantically, that love is, a, is an aspect of our being. Now, I want to take us back to this video clip. There's so many good things in that video clip, especially the line where he's like, what about that is supposed to give me comfort? Because <laughs> I feel like that's parenting in a nutshell, right? In that exact moment, you're like, your thinking is terrible about this area. But at the end of the clip, when, when he's making her boyfriend leave, and she, she's down there on her knees, and it's so sweet, and, and her sister's with her, and she screams, you are a murderer of love! And every dad knows exactly how that moment right there, you know, just you feel like that. But in that moment, I, I find a picture, I see a picture of how most people, maybe not on the surface, but at least underneath the surface, actually think about God. That God is the murderer of love. That God's idea about romance is basically keep it in your pants, never have any fun. Hello. Uh, get, wake up. You know, you're never going to enjoy it. It's always going to be this restrictive kind of thing that God is this murderer of love. And I'm here to tell you today and through this whole series, that idea is so wrong. God is the creator, the inventor of love. God made you physically capable of love. He made you spiritually capable. God invented love. God is all about love. There's this myth that God is a prude, that God is like the weird, old, ugly biology teacher that taught you about sex in middle school. And you're just like, oh, God, I think about God and sex, and it's so gross, and God's a prude, and people see the Bible as sexually regressive and sexually repressive. And, and I'm just here to tell you right now, that is such a lie. The truth is that God created sex. God created romance. God created love itself. God's intrinsic nature informs and inspires us in this area of love, and God delights in our enjoyment of this area of life. And that's what we're going to talk about today and talk about for the, the next six weeks in this series called Loveology. I want to take you into the scriptures 
uh, to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And, and in Genesis 1, uh, if you're not familiar with this, uh, it's, the, it's the creation epic. It's the, the narrative about God creating everything. And God is creating the stars and, the, and he's creating the seas and he's creating mankind. And we get to, to verse uh, 27 of Genesis 1. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. In verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. I want you to hold on to that phrase in your mind. We're going to talk about that. And maybe some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Okay. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in verse 27, we see that God creates mankind in his image. I don't have time to go into a full theology of what it means to be made in the image of God. It's not that you necessarily look like God. It's that you are to reflect God's goodness and glory and power and purpose into the world. But we'll talk about this. But it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's something that I want to dispel right now. Is a lot of people think, well, if you're a Christian, that means that women are, you know, basically, we wouldn't say this, but we assume that they're kind of less than men. That idea is stupid and wrong. And it's not from the Bible. In fact, that right in the very beginning, when God says, I'm making mankind, I'm making humans, and then forming them in my image, in other words, they're going to be the reflection of my goodness and glory and power and plan for the world into this world. They're going to be this angled mirror that shines into the world. It says, male and female, he created them. And here's the statement. Here's the thesis behind this thought. It's not either or. It's male and female is the image of God. The complete expression of God in the world is found in the male and female dynamic. In other words, men aren't better at representing God. Women aren't better equal. They're both in the image of God, and together they are the image of God. And then we go to verse 28. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, I think this is like one of my favorite verses in the Bible because in a context of blessing, okay, not a context of prudishness, not a context of I'm writing down that you had a lustful thought, not, a, not in the context of God being angry, not in the context of God being wrathful or judgmental, but in a context of blessing. It says, then God blessed them and said, have lots of sex and lots of babies. You're like, is that what it says in there? It absolutely does. Be fruitful and multiply. What God is saying is, I have created you to experience the joy and enjoyment of relationship and sexuality to, for reproduction, to fill this earth, to bring my purposes and plans into existence. This is so amazing that in the context of blessing, not of prudishness, not of judgmentalism, but in the context of blessing, God ordained and created sex and created romance. And here's a cool thing. It's one of the first things that he did. Like, what, how awesome is God that he's like, here's my list of priorities. I'm going to make the galaxy so we can have Star Wars eventually. That's number one. And then number two, I'm going to create, you know, all the planet, everything, and, and set it up, and animals and all that, and puppies, because that's also really cool. And then, then, I'm going to create sex. That was like in God's top ten. Come on, somebody. This is a good God. You're like, oh, my God, we're talking about sex at church. Yes, we are. Wait till next week. I'm an introvert. I don't want to, but I have to because I'm responsible to God to teach these messages. But we're going to talk about it. God ordained sex in romance. It was one of the first things he did. High on his list of priorities. What an awesome God. How many of you are like, cool, actually, this is pretty cool. Guys are like, yeah. <laughs> There's some stuff, guys. We're going to move forward. So where does this God is a prude myth come from? God is, he's, 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 he's looking at you 
um, and, and you, have, you, know, you see a, a pretty woman and you're like, whoa, she's pretty, or, or you see a guy with an oiled chest, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm kidding, don't do that, guys. <laughs> Where does this, this myth come from of God as a prude? It comes from a misuse and a misunderstanding of God's principles and rules and, and, and explanation for love and the context of love and the context of sex, sexuality. See, the Bible has some framework. It has some principles and some, some containers for how we as human beings, male and female in the image of God, are called to live out this aspect of our personhood, okay? And a lot of people have looked at that and said, see, God, he doesn't want me to be free because we say, well, if, if my natural inclination leads me to do X, Y, Z, that must be what's right. And even though we don't think about that things that way in the rest of the world, if somebody said, I'm naturally angry enough to murder someone, we still say no, but society has some constraints upon how you act out your natural anger. Hello. How many of you are glad we have that? That society says, even though you naturally just want to take everything that appeals to you, uh, material possessions, we call that stealing, so you can't do that. So there's actually a container for, for property rights and all these kind of things. And yet in the area of sex, we say, God, we, we, we don't want any of this stuff. We, you're making us not free. But here's the thing. That's a misunderstanding because all of God's rules, all of God's containers, all of God's what maybe could be called or looked at as restrictions or, or uh, framework, it's all connected to our design and our purpose. And I want you to hold on to these two words. They're very important. Our design, and I'm not just speaking about your biological design. That's a huge issue, biological design. How, how were people created? They were created as male and female because there's a lot of confusion about this in culture. I'm not going to go into that today. But our design, but not just our biological design, our spiritual design, our intellectual design, that this fact that we as human beings are not just time plus slime plus chance. We're not just bone and blood and biology walking around sacks of water uh, interacting with each other, that there's a transcendent aspect to our nature. That there's something about people that's more valuable than just the sum of their parts physically, our design. But then not just design, there's also purpose. God wants us to flourish. God doesn't want to take away your freedom. He wants you to flourish in the context of your design and your purpose. See, we were designed in every way, as I said, physiologically, spiritually, intellectually, for relationship, and then purpose within those relationships. The problem is it's gone so badly wrong. I mean, how many of you would say with me today, I look around society, even my own personal experiences, <clears throat> and what I have encountered is not flourishing in the area of sexuality, not flourishing in the area of relationships, but brokenness. How many of you would say, yeah, we got some brokenness in this area? A lot of people are not flourishing. I mean, just look at some of these categories. We're broken personally, yeah, but we're broken socially. There's divorce. We're going to talk about marriage and, and the fact that right now in America, you have about a one in two chance of divorcing if you get married. And you're like, that's the odds? Yeah, pretty sad. Uh, divorce, abuse, sexual violence, sexual addiction, on and on and on. And so this area that God intended to be so awesome and so good and, so, and, and flow, us to flourish in it, when we get it wrong, it goes so bad. Pastor John Mark Comer, who's the guy that wrote the book, Loveology, he says, when love goes south, it's a knife to the chest. And how many of you have experienced when love goes south? When my marriage falls apart, when the person that I gave my, my, my body to betrays me, when, when, when somebody abuses me in this area, when somebody uses me, whatever it looks like in any of these areas about romance or sexuality, when it goes wrong, it goes so wrong. 
And here's the thing. See, this idea that God is the problem in the area of love is wrong. The real problem in this area is that we've believed the lies of the enemy. And here's the thing about the enemy, about the devil, is that he's not creative. See, God is the one that made sex. God is the one that made relationship. God is the one that made love. And Satan comes along and he says, look, if you will follow my ideas, if you'll just chase your own freedom and chase your own satisfaction, even to the detriment of other people, then you'll be fulfilled. And that's a lie. Because what comes out of that is a distortion of the good things that God has. The distortion of the good things that God has. The devil can't create anything. He's never, cre- he's never created a thing in his life. All he does is pervert and pollute and distort and destroy the good things that God brought into creation. Devil is a liar. Somebody say, shout me down. Devil's a liar. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to come back to God's idea about love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, we find out that God's intrinsic nature is love. And this is so important. See, we live in a culture that says love defines God. But this isn't the reality. The reality is that God defines love. God's nature is the bounds and the, the, the borders of love. And, it, and, and it's the right perspective of love. It says in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now you're like, okay, cool, let's go home. No, there's, there's more to this. See, the problem is just to throw the word love out there doesn't really work if we don't define it, if we don't understand it. And we have a problem in our language, in English language. We just have this one word called love for this full spectrum of, of things, right? People say, I love baseball and I love my wife. Well, hopefully not at the same level, right? These are different things. I love coffee, and I love my kids. I actually love coffee a little bit more. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. Um, we have this one word for love, and we use it, and it's, but there's, there's a whole semantic range, a whole range of meaning, and we, we, we tend to understand when somebody says, I love coffee, that they don't mean the same kind of love that they have for their spouse, uh, but, but it's confusing and so I, I find it helpful to look into different languages. And if you go into the Greek language, this is amazing. And this is like the Greeks. They always just go way and above and beyond. They have seven words in the Greek language, seven distinct words describing love, different aspects of love. And I'm going to go through these really quick. Are you with me? Real quick, and we're going to throw them up here on the board. Philosia. Philosia is self-love. It's this love that you'd have for yourself. And the Greeks understood that it has a positive and a negative side. So you can be like, I have good self-worth. I, I'm, a good, you know, I'm, I'm happy with who I am. I'm, ex- I'm happy to have my body and so on and so forth. That's positive. But on the bad side of this, you're like a narcissistic, egotistical jerk, right? What, uh, do you know how, the, uh, how a, a narcissist changes a light bulb? They hold the bulb and the world revolves around them. Yeah. So... Philosia, that's, that's, that's a, a form of love. And it's important, isn't it? It's important. It has a good and a bad side. Then storge. Storge is the second type of love. It means familial affection. It's the kind of love that a parent has for their child. And storge is usually just a one-sided love. In other words, I love my kids at a higher level than they love me because I change diapers and they don't do anything for me. You know what I mean? I, but I just love them because they're my kid. And you can see storge... Um, totally come out when somebody has like an ugly troll kid and they still love them. And they're like, hey, look, it's my baby. He's so cute. And you're like, it's a baby. I think that's my kids maybe, but we all feel this way, right? You're like, 
How do you love that kid? Your kid is biting someone at this moment. I'm like, he's my love, my kid. That's Storge, right? Storge. You guys, I'm, I love kids, okay? I'm just having fun, having fun. Storge, familial love. Phileo is the third type of love. This is brotherly love. We get our, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is friendship. It's affection. It's mutualistic love. In other words, I, I appreciate you. You appreciate me. We become friends. We, we have common interests. That's phileo. Um, somebody says, I love my friend or my bestie or my BFF or whatever. That's phileo love uh, being exhibited. Let's move on. This is, this is one that I never uh, knew about until studying for this series. Ludus. Ludus is playful love, flirtatious, uncommitted, immature. It's kind of like, let's go dancing and just have fun. And it's not really love that's committed. It's uncommitted. It's just kind of like, it's innocent immaturity on one side or what we might call young love. But it's dangerous because if you're like flirting with somebody who's not your wife and you're a married man and you're playing with love and you're playing this game of love and it's about conquest or whatever, then that's a mess, isn't it? So this one has a positive and a negative side. Then we go on to what we call eros. We get our love erotic from this. This is sexual love, physical intimacy. The Greeks, though, they use this kind of love to describe selfish love where it's about you and what you get out of it, not necessarily what you put into it. And eros is this intoxicating and powerful kind of love. And we get this one, right? Because all of our movies are like, love is eros, okay? Eros is like, he comes out of the, the ocean with the oiled chest and long flowing blonde ringlets and looks up into your eyes and then whispers a Hallmark card to you. <laughs> and then he th- you throw each other against the wall and make passionate love. You know, like we get it, right? It's romance novels. You're like, this is the worst sermon ever. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. You love it. Eros is what we're really familiar with. It's sexual love. Now, here's the thing. In the right context, eros is awesome. It's awesome. But in the wrong context, it's toxic. And if we make eros the full expression of love, we we miss something. Let's move on. The sixth word is this word pragma. Pragma. It's love based on practicality. It's love It's based on a choice to appreciate and value based on a shared purpose. It's a deep appreciation for the worth of your partner or another person because of their character and qualities. And and pragma goes as far as to be able to actually look beyond the faults and flaws of someone just because you appreciate them and know them. Pragma is what we see in relationships that go on 40, 50, 60 years. Relationships that, that span decades that don't just end because they learn to appreciate the qualities internally about that person uh, that, that they're with or that, that other person and actually even go so far as to look beyond their flaws because they share this deep appreciation for one another. And that's a, a beautiful thing. But then there's the seventh word. And this is the one that the New Testament writers use most often. It's this word agape. And agape is God's kind of love. Agape is unconditional love. It's selfless and sacrificial. It's altruistic. Agape is not based on you like me, I like you, or you're hot, I'm hot. Let's make babies. That's not what it is, okay? Agape is, you maybe don't even like me. You might even be angry at me actively, but I'm gonna will and work for your good regardless of my feelings. This is the kind of love that God has for you and I. It's this unconditional love. How many of you are thankful that God doesn't base his love for us on performance? And God doesn't base his love for us on appearance. And God doesn't base his love for us on any other factor than himself and his overwhelming, powerful, agape, unconditional, sacrificial love. So here's the thing. That's the kind of love. When it says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, he's not saying God is phileo. No, God is eros. No, God is ludus. No, God is agape. 
God is agape. God is this kind of love that will rush after you even when you are running away. God's love is unconditional. It's not based on your appearance or performance. It's based on his great love and grace for you. That's the kind of love that God is. And why is this important? Because every kind of love should fall under the umbrella of agape. You see, how do we celebrate something like Ludus? Something like the play of love, the game of love, the chase of love, that, that excitement that we get when we feel like we maybe got a fish on the line and she's cute and oh my gosh, what am I gonna do in those butterflies? How do we, how do we d- deal with that? See, if we throw agape out and we say God's kind of love is not the container for the other forms of love, then we get to the negative side, okay? How, how do we celebrate eros? I mean, I, we, we laughed about it, but in Genesis 1.27, what God is saying is have a lot of sex and make a lot of babies. That's eros right there. You hear what I'm saying? And that's just what it is. But, but it's not disconnected from unconditional love, from God's kind of love. God's love, agape, should be the guideline for all the other kinds of love. When it goes on in 1 John 4, and, and starting in verse 9, it says, I want, to read, I want to read this word, and I'm going to read the word love, but I'm going to put the word agape, and I want you to understand the, this idea and sense of unconditional, undeserved love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape. Not that we agape God, but that he agape us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so agape us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape one another, God lives in us and his agape is made complete in us. Now you see the beautiful thing that's being done here is that God is saying, my highest form of love is what I demonstrated for you through my son Jesus at the cross. That the ideal of love in a Christian sense is not the diminishment of any other form of love. It's the elevation of all love to stand on this platform of agape. And and you can begin to see how culture and society and our personal lives would really radically change if we let love be filtered through this concept of how God loves and how God wants us to love. Let's look at our culture here for a few minutes, and then we'll go eat something delicious. Well, I mean, that's up to you, right, really, but I definitely will. Our culture, what kind of love is modeled and valued within our culture? Is it this unconditional love, this committed love? This, is that what's modeled, or is it something different? See, here's the thing. We live in a culture where sex and dating are treated as a recreational sport. Pastor John Mark Comer says, most people think of sex as just play for adults. Well, you want to, I want to. It's just biological material coming together. I mean, like, what's the big deal? And dating, it's just, you know, all's fair love and war. So we live in this culture where sex and dating are recreational, where the idea of love has been reduced to emotion, how I feel at a given moment, where love has been reduced to pure passion, uh, and, and where commitment only lasts as long as passion. So in other words, when I don't feel it anymore, I'm out. How many of you know I've experienced this kind of love? How many of you have experienced this kind of love and it's been damaging? When somebody's like, well, you know, I was committed to you when you were cute, but now that you're, you know, you had a baby and you're 30 pounds overweight or 40 pounds overweight, I'm out. And we go, what the heck? I was there for you, buster, when you were poor. Hello, this is where culture's at. Love is about passion, and passion only lasts, commitment only lasts as long as there's passion, and when I don't feel it anymore, I'm out. Well, you know, I I liked hanging out with you, but now, you know, Billy, I like him better, and so I'm with him. You know, we used to Netflix and chill, but now I'm like, Amazon Prime and chill. I'm with this guy, right? Thank you. (laughs) 
And, and, and it's about passion and just passion by itself. And we don't have this idea of agape. We live in a passion-based culture when it comes to love. Our culture is all about sex, 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 right? You know, if you go on Netflix, it's interesting. Bethany and I, we, we like to watch TV uh, together and hang out. And um, it's so interesting, though, because all these new shows that come out, we're like, what's it rated? M.A. Uh, M.A. There's like, it's, it's always going to be sex and nudity and some kind of gratuitous presentation of eros, 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 eros. And you're going, well, are you against eros? No, I'm for it in the right context. Totally for it. Um, but if that's all that's presented, that's what we see in culture. It's just lust-based. And then in culture, we see ludus. We see this playful love, this, well, who makes me feel good? Where do I feel a thrill? But ultimately, what we have in our culture is philosophy gone absolutely wrong. Because see, we live in this hyper-individualized society, this hyper-individualized culture where my happiness has been elevated to the level of a human right. I want you to think about this for one moment. I know we're kind of unpacking this, and we'll, get, we'll have more fun next week talking about sex and just watch me sweat up here. But hyper-individualized culture, what it's all about right now in this game of love is who makes me feel good? Well, I deserve to be happy. It's my time to be happy. I have helped other people be happy. Now it's my time to be happy. And, and my personal happiness at any given moment is the highest form of what we all kind of aim at in culture and we're destroying each other and we're being destroyed. This is a problem. This rampant narcissism. See, your world gets really ugly and really small when you have to be happy in every single moment because what you're saying is, I can escape my design and my purpose and find fulfillment in some form of love or satisfaction, but the problem is it comes at the detriment of every other human, and when everybody loses, everybody loses. Think about this. See, we treat love as if it's this zero-sum game where I have to carve out my fulfillment and satisfaction and somebody else has to lose. Why do you think rape is just such a, an issue in our culture? What we've done is we've said, look, you know, guys and girls, you can just view as much pornography as you want because it's just natural, so there's nothing wrong with it. Even though we know that, that that screws up your brain at a deep, deep level, just go for it. And then we're like, well, you can't rape. In other words, go fulfill your lust, whatever makes you feel satisfied or happy at any moment until you get to this line. You can't treat human beings like animals and then say, hey, you're not an animal, don't act like an animal. This is the, re this is the ridiculous idea we have in culture about this. We've elevated self-love. I have to be happy. What makes me happy at any given moment? That's a human right. How dare anyone infringe upon my happiness? Therefore, you don't make me happy, I'm out. And God says, guys, this is not the way to love. See, here's the thing. We don't really like that, and we don't, we're not designed to function that way. Am I right? You and I are not designed to function and live this way. God's way is so much better, because see, this is what God's love does. God's not the murderer of love. He's not the murderer of eros. God doesn't want to take out the fun and the, and the play of ludus and the, the the sex and the, the excitement and the intoxicating power of eros. God doesn't want you to have a negative self-image. He wants you to temper these things with phileo, with friendship, with pragma, with a appreciation for another person, not based on how they look in a bikini, but how they, how they communicate and, and what they care about. Come on, somebody. God, God wants you to develop agape, unconditional love that cares about people, not for what they can do for you, but just because they're worthwhile, they're they're made in the image of God like you, and they have worth and value. See, we don't really want to live in this passion-based, just, just passion-based 
idea of love. Because we don't want to just be loved because we're beautiful or sexually desirable. I mean, at some point, I won't be the most sexy man in the whole world. You know, it's just... I actually, I'm not that, just in case you were worried about that. Um, you're like, man, his falasha is off the charts right now. No, I, I had a really awkward phase between uh, 10 and 30 that I had to um, go through. But w- women, young women, I don't want my daughters to believe, well, if I don't look like the Victoria's Secret catalog, then I'm not going to be loved. Because see, culture has said your sexuality, your, your desirability, based on whatever culture says is desirable. 150 years ago, if you were like chubby, that was like hot. Now you have to be really, really skinny. This is horrible. We've just moved an arbitrary standard of beauty, and now we're saying, women, you have to live up to this. It's so ugly and disgusting. But see, if love is all about sex and it's all about sexual desirability, we don't want to be judged by that, though, do we? See, I'm sitting here with a dad bod, and I'm like, I hope Bethany actually appreciates my inner qualities more than just my physicality, because I'm not bringing much to the table on that. We don't want to be just loved because we bring a thrill to our partner at every moment. How exhausting is this if it's all about Ludus? Well, I'm not, you're not, he doesn't take me dancing anymore. We don't go dancing anymore. He's working hard to bring home the bacon. You know what I'm saying? Like, give her a break. Well, she's not, I came home and she was wearing yoga pants again. Dude, get over yourself. Like, she's raising your kids, you jerk. Come on, somebody. If it's all just about Ludus and Eros, then all of us, we don't want to be judged this way. We want to judge other person. Man, I want my wife to just be, you know, 120 pounds and like perfectly sculpted. And man, look at that butt just goes all day, you know. But, but for me, I'm going to eat Cheetos and watch the Ducks lose every night, you know. We don't want to be judged by this standard. And yet this is the standard of love that we've elevated in our culture. It's stupid. That's a Greek word. It means stupid. <clears throat> That's the lie that the enemy has salted into our hearts and our minds and our culture. But see, here's the thing. God's plan for love, God's plan for love is that you can have your cake and eat it too. God wants, in the context of marriage, people in a committed, pragma, phileo relationship where it's not going to just end based on when the passion doesn't ebbs and flows. God wants you to have amazing eros. God wants you to have passion in your relationship, but he says, look, the best way to have passion is not to get rid of commitment. It's to be committed and let passion work in that environment. God wants us to experience eros, balanced with phileo, ludus, tempered with pragma, all under the umbrella of his love, agape, under his agape. All right, let me give you some takeaways this morning and we'll go eat something good. Number one, it's so important for us, all of us, to buy God's truth. To, to buy, to purchase God's truth about love. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. Proverbs 23, 23. You can remember this really easily because it's Michael Jordan's number. Yeah, so Proverbs 23, 23. He say, says, buy the truth, buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. Buy the truth. We need to buy the truth about love from God, not the truth about love from our society, from our culture. We need to buy God's truth. God, how do you think about love? God is love. God is unconditional love. So what does God say about love? Do you think that God maybe has a better idea about how we should play this game and operate this mode of our existence than you and I? We came up with 
all the stuff that's going on on Netflix. That was our idea, and it's led to brokenness and a one in two chance of having a committed relationship. It's garbage. So who's, whose truth are you going to buy today? Whose truth are you going to connect with? See, here's the thing. God's word, it's not antiquated. It's not irrelevant. God's word about love and about sex and about romance is not regressive or repressive. God is the creator. He's the designer. It's like reading the owner's manual being like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. I think I should probably operate this way. God's word has the recipe for success in romance and relationships. And how many of you are like, yes, I'm single and I need a good relationship. Come on, put your hand up bold. That's me. I need it, right? Amen. I need a man. Hello. Hallelujah. We, I, you know what I want Joy Church to be known for? A place where young people can come and, man, get married, find an awesome hunky man with blonde flowing hair and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. No, I want you to, I want, ladies, I want you to be able to find men of God that will die for you, men of God that will die every day for you, will, will serve you and love you and not put their needs above yours. And, and young men, I want you to be able to find a woman of God that is pure and holy, but man, you have great sex in marriage. And come on, somebody, that, that men and women would come together and God's purpose and plan and image would be seen in our relationships, but we have to buy God's truth about love. Don't just get smarter than God and throw away his thoughts about sexuality and about romance and love. Number two, we need to embrace grace. So whenever we start talking about love and romance, I know what happens in all of us is we go, ooh, but I've messed this up. I, I, I was looking at porn. Um, I, I've broken hearts. I've slept around. I've been promiscuous. I have broken marriages. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and it's your second or your third or your fourth marriage and you're like, oh, great, another series about love and church, another series about marriage, and I'm just going to leave feeling like crap every week because of all this, this guilt. And here's the thing. We serve a God of second chances, the God that made you. There's a right way to do it, absolutely, but we've all fallen short of this standard. I wanted to do a graph. I didn't have time, but um, show you a pie graph of the percentage of people that have messed up in this area, and it would just be 100% because we've all messed up in this area. Well, Pastor Jake, not you. Uh, yes, I've messed up in this area. Even Bethany, I assume. I don't know for a fact, but I presume that at some place in her life, my, my wife has messed up. Maybe not her. No, we, we've all messed up. And so what, what do we have to do? We have to embrace the grace of God. If you've made mistakes in this area, like everybody else on this planet, and if you ever deal with guilt or shame, I want to just encourage you today and say, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't feel that guilt. God is gracious and God is not standing over you going, yeah, you've really messed it up. You've, I'm glaring at you. No, God's, God's heart and his love for you, his unconditional love is that you would just buy his truth and begin to win in this area. And God is going to give you grace, which doesn't just mean forgiveness. It means empowerment. God's grace is like mercy on steroids in a positive manner to help you actually live right. God's riches at Christ's expense, grace, all of God's power and love and mercy and goodness flowing into your life in a supernatural rocket booster to help you actually change how you live. This is good preaching right now. Come on. Like God wants to give you grace. We got to embrace his grace. God isn't the murderer of love. He's not, he's not the murderer of love. Just like her dad wasn't the murderer of love. Her dad was saying, I want you to love, but we got we to do some things right. Not making out with your boyfriend on the beach, girl. <laughs> We got we to gotta work some things out. God wants to celebrate with you as you flourish in this area of your life according to your design and your purpose. And here's what I want to leave you with today. If you will buy God's truth and you will embrace God's grace, your 
tomorrows are gonna be better than your yesterdays in this area. Your tomorrow, see, here's the thing that happens in a culture where love is broken and relationships go askew and all this kind of stuff happens is we say, there's no hope for me. I'll never get married. I'll never find the right person. I'll, I'll never get it right. I've made too many mistakes. I'm impure. I'm too damaged. I'm too this, I'm too that. No, 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 no. If you will buy God's truth and you will embrace God's grace, your tomorrows will be better than your yesterdays in this area of life.